Hello, you're listening to the Queer Romance Readers Discord server's book chat about Two Rogues Make a Right by Kat Sebastian. I'm Rachel, and with me are... Hi, I'm Ella. Hi, I'm Alicia. So, okay, an overview of the series, because this is the third book. Um, so this series is a historical romance centered around the family, and in my opinion, each book works as a standalone, but characters do appear across books, and reading the books in order may provide the necessary backstory to understanding the side characters and some of the main characters better. What era do we call this, the setting of this book? Historical. <laughs> Okay, in the past. I I get Georgian era. Okay, I get them all confused. I know some people are really particular, but it's set in England and it is, yeah, that Georgian era. 1800s, right? Whatever that means. (laughs) Historical. Yes, it's historical. There are breaches. It's a good one. So each of the three books in the series, which is called Seducing the Sedgwicks, tells the story of one of the three Sedgwick brothers. This is the third book, as Alicia mentioned, and the first two books are set near the brothers' childhood home, where they had kind of a non-traditional upbringing in this rural area, and their parents um, were kind of eccentric artist types. There was some... um, non-traditional polyamory kind of relationships amongst them and um their parenting style was kind of like a let the children run free and fend for themselves sort of approach which didn't really serve the boys all that well as it turns out um so the the brothers have a definite bond but you can as alicia said i agree that you can enjoy this story without knowing all of the details of the stories of the other brothers. But there is some foreshadowing that occurs um, as far as the plot points of this story in those books. So if you like this kind of series, it might be a good idea to start at the beginning, and that might be the way that you'd enjoy it the best. So the blur of this book is that Will's, the main character, Will, his dearest friend, Sir Martin, has been ignoring his letters for months and he fears the worst. So Will is very relieved to then finally find Martin not dead but close to it whilst hiding in Will's brother's attic. Uh, Will kindly kidnaps him and runs away to a cosy little cottage that sits on the outskirts of one of Martin's estates. As Will helps Martin recover, they grow closer and romance blossoms. But Martin plans uh, to marry an heiress Uh, to kind of save his uh, family's financial worries and he desires to see Will flourish as a playwright in London instead of having to take care of him and it's kind of threatens to drive them apart. So kind of uh, Will's is a really great character and um, his backstory is that Will and Martin kind of grew up together in neighbouring houses and Will would often sneak into Martin's bedroom but sadly, Martin Fathers catches Will in Martin's bed, and so he arranges for Will to join the Navy as an officer. But sadly, kind of during his time in the Navy, he had a really abusive captain, and kind of at the end of it, he kind of, he gets a lot of scars and he gets PTSD. And when they come back to England, 
Wood is court-martialed and he is removed from the Navy and he develops a addiction to opium. And it's during this time that Martin tries to support Will. He's trying to kind of buy him opium so that Will doesn't have to do anything even more desperate to get opium. And he does some kind of quite egregious stuff by doing it, but it's just because he's so desperate to help out Martin. Will, even. <laughs> but, when Martin, but when Martin's father finally dies um, and he, he falls ill, they lose touch for months and this leads Will to believe that Martin is dead. But yeah, so he's just been living in London trying to write plays also during this time. So Martin grew up constantly ill and his father, who's Sir Humphrey, ignored and neglected him throughout his childhood because of this. And spending time with Will was just one of the few bright spots in his life. And when his father sends Will away to the Navy because he catches Will in Martin's bed, Martin feels really guilty and he believes that he's in at fault for the abuse Will suffered through in the Navy. So when Will gets kicked out, that's part of his motivation behind helping Will and buying him opium, but also because Will is his best friend and he he would do anything for Will. And, but when Martin's father dies, he inherits a mountain of debt and he's forced to strip anything of value away from his houses to sell and to get money for Will. And this leads to him trying to raise the rents on his tenants until he forces them out. And then two years prior to the beginning of Two Rogues, Martin contracts consumption. And then this is when he starts ignoring Will's letters because he doesn't want Will to watch him die. But this makes Will think Martin is dead until Will finds him hiding in his brother's attic. Yeah, so... Martin's been in love with Will for years, but he's very conflicted about it. He feels immense guilt over loving someone who he thinks he has ruined, basically. Because he, he blames himself a lot for what his father did to Will. And there is a very long list of all the things that Martin feels guilty over. So from raising the rents to get even more money for Will, and from the abuse that Will faces in the Navy and from how his father abuses Will's brother, which you find out more in the previous book. But what I thought really drove the conflict was Martin's guilt over feeling like he's not good enough for Will. He loves Will, but also feels guilt over loving Will, and he thinks he is responsible for a lot of the pain in Will's life. He wars between his desire to be with Will, just to stay in the cottage with him, even though he knows that Will would, would stay with him, because Will is incredibly loyal to Martin and he knows that he is one of Will's weaknesses and it's often kind of pointed out and Martin feels guilt over this and he, he doesn't want to have Will hold himself back from his life in London where he's kind of blossoming, blossoming as a really great playwright so he doesn't want Will to be kind of stuck caring for him whilst he's sick and watch him go the same way his mother did they kind of touch into the bit but I believe his Mother also has consumption and it takes a long time for her to die and Will is there for a lot of it. And so it's his guilt that drives him apart really. That is a kind of main conflict of the book that he thinks that Will will be better off without him. Without kind of, he doesn't really talk to Will, think about what Will would want and that Will would want to stay with him. I think it's really the, one of the 
nice things about their relationship in the book is how they are so devoted to one another and they both know that the other one cares about them deeply. There's not really, and there is conflict in the book, but they never um, really doubt the depth of one another's feelings. And I think that's really kind of a unique way to tell a love story, but it was really nice. Yeah, they're more, they know that they both love each other, but they feel that they just want the best for each other. And I think Martin especially feels like Will would be better off without him, which is just like... And then Will has, I know, and then Will has his whole thing of Martin, if Martin marries an heiress, then he can live the way that he should, you know, according to his station and that the cottage isn't good enough for him and that Will, like, doesn't know how to shave him well enough. (laughs) You know, these things like it's, it's, it's really sweet how they each misinterpret what the other want, like really wants out of life, I guess. They understand that they have a connection and that they each value that, but they don't neither of them really understand how the lifestyle that they the, that they would each be contented with is already there for them in the cottage. It's like they, they both think that they the other one doesn't want to be in the cottage when really they, they do. do. So it's like the subtlest little sweet misunderstanding sort of story without being um, the least bit frustrating as a reader because you know they're going to come through it. But yeah. Um, one other thing that I found really special about this story was the representation of the chronic illnesses that each of the characters suffer. Obviously, Martin has his consumption, um, which is a very kind of understandable physical illness. Um, but he even um, compares when when Will protests that he should be stronger and that his addiction shouldn't be something that he can um, succumb to, you know, uh, even in their dialogue, Martin points out that it's no different than him taking care of Will when Will is in the throes of his addiction is not different than Will taking care of Martin when his consumption is flared up and he's very ill. So it kind of gave a, a more nuanced and sort of, I guess, understanding of um, the way that addiction is an illness too. And both of, so both of them have, um, have these ailments that are not resolved by the end of the story. There's not it there. The power of their love does not heal Martin, nor does it heal will, but their, their ability to help care for each other and support each other helps them manage life with their existing and ongoing conditions better, which I think is a really refreshing take on, um, on these things, I think, especially in romance, there's a desire often that authors have to just fix things um, for the characters, but that's not really how real life works. And so I, I like this part of the story a lot. Yeah, I think because I have a, a sister who's got a chronic illness and it's very much, it's great to kind of see a story where there isn't some kind of magical cure because in a lot of cases there never will be, but it's just about that. You know, you can manage things, you can kind of get support from others, still have a really happy life, and they find that with each other. Yeah, I think this was also one of my favorite parts, because it's, I I really dislike the whole love or magic or something fixes all disabilities, cures all illness, and you're suddenly in perfect health, because I think it's, it's a very ableist trope, and it's kind of telling people with 
illnesses or disabilities that, well, you're not going to get a happy ending unless you somehow magically fix yourself. So I think the kind of the theme here is is saying like, well, no, like this is who you are and you can get a happy ending no matter what happens, essentially. Like it doesn't, you don't have to be some like able-bodied, perfect health, beautiful, wonderful person to get a happy ending. Yeah, and it just, you know, it reflects the reality of the world because there are no magical love saves everything cure. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of this thing I saw on Tumblr the other day where it was like, it's a Star Trek thing and I'm not really familiar with what it's about. <laughs> but um, it was something like this person, I think he was blind and then talking to this other person who was like, well, you wouldn't have been born because our government wants everyone to, or wants no one to have to suffer a life with disability. And then the other person says something like, well, who is it that decides that we have to suffer because the disability isn't the problem? It's the society that doesn't help out. That's the problem. Well, because yeah. um, I've seen some kind of example where, you know, if you live in a world where suddenly a load of people gain the ability to fly, but you don't, everything's normal at first, but then they, you know, build a building that you can only access if you fly so obviously you are at a disadvantage and it's not you who's at a disadvantage it's that the world wasn't built to accommodate you so then they kind of made you disadvantaged. yeah that's really interesting i think too that you're shaped in part by how you experience the world so if you have a differently abled body um you kind of are who you are as a result of the experiences that you've had i so I always feel like to say that someone is disadvantaged or that their life would be better if their body was different. I mean, that's, that might not be true. I mean, you wouldn't be yourself. So, um, and Martin and Will are definitely examples of this. I think, I mean, some of what lead, leads them to happiness is difficulty that they've overcome um, and, and lived through, you know, I mean, so Yeah. Deep Will mentions that at several points that he doesn't want Martin to just be in love with the boy he used to be before what happened to him in the Navy because whilst what happened to him was horrible and while Martin may wish that it hadn't happened to him at all it's still what kind of made him into the person he is and that yeah that experience has shaped him it changed him and he's not going to go back to how he was and he wants Martin to love and accept all of him and not be in love with a boy he used to know. Yeah, I think it's just really well done. Loved it. So Alicia, what was one of your favorite aspects of the story? Um, so... Mine is, my answers are never as deep as yours, Rachel. <laughs> I I really liked the cottage. I thought I thought it was really cute. Um, I really liked the entire book, honestly. But one of my favorite themes is hurt comfort. It's like I need one twenty five percent hurt and then seventy five percent comfort. That's my golden ratio. 
<laughs> and so that's how two rogues starts out Martin Sirius. The ill will kidnaps him to a cottage, nurses him back to health. And what's not to like about this? And also kidnapping is another one of my favorite themes. So, you know. This is like the gentlest kidnapping that could ever happen. I love that. <laughs> I know. It's like, um, yes, it definitely exists. And it's addressed a little bit in the story um, that, you know, that is not probably a morally sound choice <laughs> that Will made. But um, I agree. I think the whole premise of the book is awesome. And the the hurt, so much of the hurt portion occurs in the character's past, kind of like off screen, if you will, that it almost feels like 100% comfort the whole book, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think the the ratio in here for hurt to comfort, it's more like 10%, 90%. Yeah, but another thing I really liked, I know you asked for one, but here's a bonus, um, is that there are a lot of really lovable side characters with a surprising relationship I won't spoil, um, but I adore Daisy and her personality. She is, she's kind of the person whose mother forces her to come help out Will and Martin so she doesn't spend time with boys. <laughs> yeah, she's 16, I think. So I guess her mother worries. And also Sam and Hartley reappear. Their book is A Gentleman Keep, Never Keeps Score, which is book two. And then Hartley is Will's brother and also helping him with the plays. So they have a really great relationship on the page. And it's I just really like all the characters in this, except for Sir Humphrey, and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> I also really liked, for side characters, Martin's aunt. Um, which we've already talked about this, but she is sort of set up as this character who's going to help. She's sort of connected and moneyed. She's married well, I guess. And she's going to help um, find a, an heiress for, hold on, I'm getting interrupted again. <laughs> she's going to help find an heiress for Martin to marry. And so you kind of expect her to be a certain way, but then she actually is just trying to help Martin out, period. Like, as soon as he's confesses to her that he doesn't actually want to get married she's just sort of like okay well what do you want to do and I'll help you with that so um I, I maybe that's a plot spoiler oops but um anyway she was just one of those characters who was ex like almost the opposite of who you expected her to be when she showed up on the page and I really found her um delightful I was really expecting it reminded me um because a really horrible aunt is the one in band sinister in KJ Charles's book and she is kind of a textbook, awful aunt who's kind of, you'll do what I want or I'll cut you off. And you kind of, at first I thought it was going to go that route because she was quite an imposing sort of figure when Martin first talks about her. But then she turns out to be really lovely. <laughs> and she just wants to help out Martin. So he seems to just, he seems to be a person who can't, has difficulty with accepting help from other people and that tends to color his perception of them yes and he also assume he i think he also assumes that no one is on his side you know um except will so seeing him proven wrong is kind of satisfying too yeah i say that one of my favorite things about this was um 
Martian being so jealous that Will could talk to other people in a different language. And so he learns French just so he can talk to Will. I just thought that was so adorable. <laughs> like he's just he's so sweet, but he's very shy with his affection. So it's like with the um with the flowers that he, he picks up and then he feels really awkward giving them to Will. And then he gets a it gets slight sporty, but he gets kind of a tattoo of a I think it was a bird. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a William or yeah, it's a William. He tattoos a William onto him. I don't remember if it's a bird or a flower. Possibly, I think Will has I think the tattoo of a bird. It's the flower because Will has the house martins, which are the birds. Yeah, so they both... Oh, I forgot how cute it was. It's even cuter. That was definitely a spoiler. What? <laughs> Mine. Mine. But given that he's normally such a grumpy character... Who is just, he always suppresses his emotions. It's just really adorable to see these gentle little moments that Will brings out in him. And also, I want to thank Martin's aunt for buying him those tight-fitting breeches. That was a very welcomed visual image. And you remember that scene where it's like, um, Will's asking Martin, so what do you think about when you masturbate? And then Martin is like, well, I don't think about anyone because it would be such a violation of them. That kind of, I feel like I'm a bit here, like, it feels weird. But also, yeah, I understand his point of view. But it's, yeah, it's a very sweet. Yeah, I think, especially with um part one, um, I mean, book one, it's like, Martin is very, he's presented as kind of this villainous person in book one. And then you get to book three and you're like, holy crap, this is such a sweet cinnamon roll. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was our discussion of Two Rogues Make a Right by Kat Sebastian, one of our spotlight books in the Queer Romance Readers Discord server. If you want to talk about this book and other books with us and with our members, then you should join our Discord server. And until next time, I guess we will just say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.